0: Welcome to the inaugural podcast of the Office of the Information and Privacy Commissioner for Newfoundland and Labrador. My name is Michael Harvey. I am the Information and Privacy Commissioner. Uh, and uh, when I say that this is our inaugural podcast, uh, I want to announce first the title of our podcast, which we're going to call it Duty to Discuss. So we're pretty excited to be starting this. We intend to do it uh, every month, uh, and uh, we will be launching it on uh hopefully you're listening to it on or about january the 28th of 2021 which is data privacy day recognized around the world uh, although our podcast will focus on all matter of uh, issues related to privacy and access to information the full scope of our mandate uh, so uh, i'm joined today by dr chandra Kavanaugh who is the director of the bounce institute and and i'll uh, pass things over to uh, to Dr. Kavanaugh. I hope it's okay if I call you Chandra.
1: Yes, please Uh, do. (laughs)
0: Uh, And please call me Michael. And uh, we'll uh, we'll, uh, get into talking about Bounce uh, in a moment, but maybe first of all, for you, the uninitiated, I should probably say a word about who we are, uh, the Office of the Information and Privacy Commissioner. So we are, uh, and I am an independent statutory officer of the House of Assembly of Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, I have authorities under the Access to Information and Protection of Privacy Act 2015 and the Personal Health Information Act. And I have responsibility to provide regulatory oversight uh, related to, under ATIPA, which is what we call uh, that former act, Uh, I have uh, regulatory responsibilities related to the access to information uh, held by public bodies, uh, but also the, the privacy rights that uh, the people have about the personal information that is held about them by uh, public bodies in this province. Under the Personal Health Information Act, I have regulatory responsibilities related to the holding of what we call personal health information by custodians, a custodian is a health professional who collects information about you uh, through the the process of uh, providing health services to you whether that's an individual health practitioner uh, or if it's uh, one of a number of listed health organizations like a regional health authority Uh, so uh, that's our regulatory oversight responsibilities and also uh, i have a mandate to do education and advocacy really quite broadly related to subjects related to access and privacy it's really related to that mandate that uh, we're doing this podcast to try and uh, uh, and talk to Newfoundlanders and Labradorians about all topics related to to access and privacy, which are uh, quasi co- or which are, are recognized as constitutional rights in this country. So uh, we take them pretty seriously, and we're pretty excited to to talk about them. So that's what we're going to do here today, and uh, we're going to talk. Uh, about health information and about privacy matters related to health information uh, this is a, a subject that is uh, uh, near and dear to my heart it's how I got really interested in uh, in this area in the first place because before my appointment as information and privacy commissioner, I was the Assistant Deputy Minister in the Department of Health and Community Services, and uh, I had my mandate there covered things like health research, uh, but also information and, and e health, uh, and I promoted health information from that role as well. And uh, so my relationship to uh, the Bounce uh, Center at, at Memorial's Medical School goes back uh, before even it was, uh, it was created and so I'm I've been very gratified to have watched uh, it grow over over the number of years and was uh, very excited when uh, when Chandra was appointed as a director Um, and my relationship with Chandra goes back to her role when uh, before she was at Bounce when you were with the Health Research Ethics Authority so I think a whole lot of really um, uh, really Great things are are clicking into place here, uh, and um, and with that said, I'm I'm going to throw things over because I want this uh, this duty to discuss podcast to not just be me talking, but the uh, 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 us having discussions. And so, with that, I'll uh, maybe uh, 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 throw things to to Chandra and and start by t- why don't you Chandra tell me a little bit about bounce, tell me a little bit about yourself, and um, and we'll get the conversation going with that.
1: Sounds great. Well, thank you so much for having me, Michael, on duty to discuss. I'm really looking forward to and and honored, quite frankly, to be on the inaugural podcast on, on such a great day. Um, so to tell you a little bit more about myself, my name is Chandra Kavanaugh. I have my PhD in Biomedical Ethics from McMaster University and got my Masters from Ryerson. And before that, I did my BA here in Newfoundland and Labrador at MUN. So it's very, very exciting for me to get to come back to my home province to work in my field. Uh, Prior to working as the director for Bounce Health Innovation, I was the ethics officer for the Health Research Ethics Authority. And sort of before we got started today, we talked about how it's an interesting mix for me because I really get to come from this world of regulatory compliance, seeing the value of ethics, the value of privacy, how important those things are, and then move into the Bounce world. And so at Bounce Health Innovation, we really are focused on supporting early stage entrepreneurs getting started in med tech and health innovation. And so marrying those two spaces of ensuring meaningful regulatory compliance and also helping early stage entrepreneurs has been tremendously, tremendously exciting for me. So when I talk about Bounce, I talk about a couple of different kinds of things that we do. So we support these early stage entrepreneurs in medicine, medtech, health, and wellness. Uh, we really are the first sort of organization of our kind in Newfoundland and Labrador. We existed for about a year in 2018, and we really existed as a pilot project. So the idea was to see if there was a need, if we had companies that were in need of support in our ecosystem and an ecosystem that needed support. So it turned out after that year that we were really useful, um, and, and certainly the determination was made that we did need that support here and that we had a burgeoning ecosystem. Uh, we've seen some big wins recently, for instance, the big win with Verithin or with BreatheSuite that tell us how up and coming the ecosystem is for early stage entrepreneurs here in Newfoundland and Labrador. And so the determination was made that Bounce was useful, and we received three years of very generous funding, Um, and we also had a little change in our organizational infrastructure. So during our pilot phase, we had a lot of part-time people, it was sort of off the side of folks' desks, but the determination was made to have some full-time people, including the first director, and I was lucky enough to be selected to be that first director. So when I talk about the kind of work that Bounce does, I typically divide it into three different subcategories. So we have events that we run, we have programs, and we also have services that we offer to our Bounce partner companies. So in terms of the events that we run, uh, we actually have a major event that's coming up. Uh, It's coming up in the Western Regional Health Authority, and we're partnering with Grenfell Campus, we're partnering with Kona, we're partnering with the Halibut First Nation, uh, and we're also partnering with a number of groups there in order to be able to provide a healthy futures forum. So there we're gonna talk about big wins in entrepreneurship, medicine, and medtech in that region, as well as talk about the resources that we have to offer out there. So really f- looking forward to working with Western Health, working with Navigate, and working with all of those different groups in Western. Uh, We also had a major health innovation summit here in St. John's in partnership with Eastern Health, which attracted over 500 participants. So we're really proud of that. So we have the events that we run. We also have programs. So we have a job shadowing program. And that job shadowing program really offers uh, students, early stage entrepreneurs, the opportunity to work directly with people in healthcare to get to know the kind of problems that they face in their jobs. We have an embryo grants program which provides early seed funding to entrepreneurs. We have um, an internship program which is launching this summer where we will support early stage entrepreneurs in working on their own projects or working with one of our partner companies. And finally we have a certificate program where if you come to six of our workshops you get a certificate in health innovation and entrepreneurship. And then when it comes to the services we offer our partner companies, there are a couple of different things. Right now, Bounce has 24 different companies that we're working with, and we're really, really proud of that because we've only been really in existence since August in terms of Bounce 2.0 and already partnered with 24 companies. And we offer them a number of different kinds of support. So that includes access to a council of experts, that includes access to a pool of talented individuals, One of the things I'd like to talk with you about today and one of the things we discussed earlier is our regulatory compliance package. So we're helping these early stage entrepreneurs get everything that they need when it comes to making sure that they're respecting participants' privacy, making sure that they're respecting the ethical requirements that are associated with getting these companies off the ground. So that's probably enough of me yammering on about Bounce, uh, but really excited about it. It's an excellent organization. Only been there for about five months, but I feel like we're doing big things in this province.
0: Oh, I mean, absolutely. I was really uh, amazed to uh, look at the list of companies, t- 24 uh, that you sent along. I mean, I I recall the at the very beginning, the one of the first... Uh, uh, showcases when there was, I think, five companies, and at that at that time, many of them were just, just ideas. But now, uh, you know, you've got a lengthy list uh, here, and uh, and many of these are, are more than just ideas. They're actually producing uh, products, and they're they're well along, in, uh, in their their journey of uh, becoming mature companies. So. I think that that's all happened very fast, and it's very exciting, and it really speaks to the potential of the sector. Um, So, I mean, you covered a lot of topics for this, so I've got a lot of follow-up questions. But maybe I'll start at at the uh, at the you know some of the most basic. Um, You know, one of the things that really strikes me about the one of the the challenges that this that small companies are facing is that this is a you know, a pretty highly regulated sector, the health sector. I couldn't Uh, agree with you more, uh,
1: Michael, and there's a real sticker shock when it comes to people who've even worked in the tech sector before but have never worked in med tech. They move into this sector and are surprised um, at the amount of regulatory compliance that they now have to learn about. And I would say one of the only other sectors that compares is maybe aerospace engineering in terms of being so heavily
0: regulated. Right. So that's a real challenge. And for for startups, um, you know, some of the times, and as I just look down through the list of, of companies, I see some of them are um, are being uh, developed by health professionals. For example, JVP Labs, and this is a company that uh, uh, is developing a medical device for measuring uh, jugular venous pressure. You know, uh, that's Dr. Andrew Smith. I mean, he's been around the block. He's a, he's an E.R. doc. He's an engineer. He knows what he's he he knows the scene. Uh, or Medicurio. Uh, another company being run by, uh, uh, from a physician, healthcare practitioner, who's well aware of the regulatory challenges. But some of these other other folks, like uh, I think uh, BreatheSuite, I mean, these are our students, really, who started that up. Engineering
1: right? undergrad, yeah. yeah.
0: So, uh, and um, I mean, it's a it's a great success, an ongoing success story, right? It's not a success story we're talking about in the past, sense, an ongoing success story. But these are students who, you know, brand new to this, this sector. A healthcare profe- you know, a lot of the health researchers that we're accustomed to dealing with you know more traditionally these are folks who would be you know they'd be have an academic appointment at a university or they would be you know um, uh, they would be working for the regional health authority and they'd have the, 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 all the resources of those those institutions to support them but a, a startup company you know particularly for if you're involved in, you know you're talking about students they're not going to have that. And so, so they, they've, you know, they're they're at a real disadvantage, and they're coming into this environment. They want to be nimble. They want to, they want to, you know, get access to information real quickly. And then they're they're going to be f- confronted by what look like brick walls, you know, to them. So how do you, you know, how do you help, uh, how do you help them not get scared off? So can you talk to me, and uh, you've you've talked a little bit about that with your your, uh, some of the things that you're doing with your access to experts, uh, your job shadowing, I think that's super cool. Uh, and, uh, but also, of course, what I'd be most interested in is that regulatory compliance uh, a package that you can offer them, you know, like here's how to get through. So can you talk to me a little bit about how do you, you kind of even the playing field for these startups to, you know, to help them, help them get into this sector?
1: you're absolutely right it can be tremendously intimidating and that's especially the case when you are working with people who have no experience in this field whatsoever so you can only imagine somebody who doesn't have a university appointment somebody who's never done medical research before but maybe somebody who's an app developer or maybe someone who is uh really excellent when it comes to particular ideas with patient experience but doesn't have any experience in the university sector or in doing research all of a sudden, first of all, they might not even know that these requirements exist. So it could feel like a bit of a wrap on the knuckles once they start looking for an opportunity to do something and find out that there's actually a lengthy process of permissions that they need to go through. Um, and in other cases, People have done their research, they understand what's required, but then they take a look at some of the application processes or things like that. And for folks like you and me who are really familiar with those applications, we say, ah, they're easy, you know, just a couple of questions to fill out. But for folks who are experiencing those things for the first time, it can be very intimidating. And I like the term that you use, even the playing field, because I think that's part of what Bounce is doing, is saying to these folks, hey, you know, you've happened upon what might appear to you to be a stumbling block, block but in fact, it's an opportunity, and it's an opportunity that Bounce can help you to leverage. So, one of the things to keep in mind is that when it comes to regulatory compliance, That's a requirement absolutely everywhere. It's a requirement here in Newfoundland and Labrador, but wherever you chose to start your company, you would run into that requirement. And it's not just ethics approval, it's not just going to your data custodian to get permission to use data. We're talking about the FDA, we're talking about Health Canada, we're talking about robust processes here. And so as opposed to having someone run into these processes and then having to learn from scratch through Google, how to go about getting access and how to go about making sure that their company is respecting people's privacy and making sure that their company is as safe and secure as possible for patients, we can guide them, hold their hands through this process. And at the end of it, they have the opportunity to see that it's made their company better. And so a company here in Newfoundland and Labrador that chooses to work with Bounce Health Innovation, they build privacy into the front end of their company. They build ethics into the front end of their company. if you're someplace else without that kind of support, you might not think about that till you've already developed your app, till you've already developed your data collection device. And then all of a sudden to build it in on the back end, that can be a tremendous time suck. And and it can be much more difficult than if you're thinking about that right from the get-go, right from the ideation stage.
0: I wonder if you could talk to us, uh, if you're able, about any any examples of that. Because we, we talk about this all the time, the idea of building privacy in from the out. From the beginning, because we 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 encounter this this challenge with you know programs by public bodies or initiatives by public bodies that you know sometimes at the end it's only at the end that they start to think about the privacy questions and and we say no 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 you, you think about the privacy questions up front. This is one of the, one of the things that we've been talking about a lot lately is this COVID uh, uh, exposure notification app mm-hmm. and and one of the reasons why. Uh, privacy commissioners across the country have been able to champion this this app is because they started with the privacy question right they they didn't say okay we want to achieve this uh, oh and I guess we got to make it safe from a privacy perspective they uh, the initial question was how do we how do we do this in a way that is safe so and and that might seem like well what's the difference between those two things but it's all the difference in the world uh, and from our perspective, all the difference in the world. So, do you have any, any examples that you might want to talk, or might be able to talk about, about how some of the companies you've dealt with have asked that privacy and asked those ethics questions uh, up front? Um, because I, I think that that is what can can make this really special.
1: Absolutely. So, not only do I have an example of a company that's asking these questions up front, because I think a lot of our companies are doing that. We have a company that is becoming successful in part because it's addressing these questions directly. So we have a company that's called Consensu, and Consensu is focused on making the consenting process easier, safer, more private, and more meaningful. So as you know, if you want to participate in a clinical trial, if you want to participate in research, you need to fill out a consent form. Also, in lots of cases, if you're going to get medical treatment, you need to fill out a consent form. If you're going to um, have surgery, you might talk with your doctor about consenting to various things and our consent process is so far behind the times it's laughable in some cases so we're talking if you want to consent to be a part of a clinical trial a clinical trial that could offer opportunities for you or other patients to uh we really could be world-changing life-changing in lots of cases, you might have to sit down with a physician or with a research nurse and read a 40-page paper document together in a room in order to ensure that you understand what you're agreeing to. And the fact is, at the end of the day, if you're sitting down in a room with a research nurse or a physician and you're reading a 40-page document, the research shows that the chances you're gonna truly understand what you're agreeing to are actually pretty slim. It's very, very difficult to engender that kind of understanding. So what Consensu is doing is it's creating digital consent forms. And it's creating digital consent forms that include videos, that include illustrations, that include interactive graphics. And so the idea there is that we would uphold ethics, uphold patient privacy, uphold patients' understanding of what's happening to their data by ensuring that they actually understand what they're agreeing to. Also, they're not being forced to sit through that 40 page document. Uh, So that leads to more enrollments, that leads to less time that has to be spent with each individual with more understanding at the end of the day. And so one of the things that this company has been very focused on is building privacy into this digital application. So making sure not only that this is being used to help people understand their privacy rights, but also that all of that information in terms of what's collected in the form is becoming safe and secure. Because again, you can imagine, if you have 40-page paper consent forms that somebody signs in hard copy, then all of a sudden you've got to store them in locked filing cabinets. And you've got to hope that nothing happens like what happened in Australia, I think it was three years ago, where um, there was someone who was responsible for the furniture at the hospital who donated a whole bunch of filing cabinets to a used furniture store. And it turned out that those filing cabinets that were donated were filled with tremendously sensitive patient information. So all of a sudden you have all of these hard copy forms that need to be kept in the case of clinical trials for 25 years, becomes very unwieldy to manage. So being able to digitize this not only offers the opportunity for patients to understand, for them to understand their privacy and their rights, for them to understand what happens to their data, but also for that data to be stored in a more secure way. So talk about building in privacy. This is a company that's making money by helping people understand their privacy rights and by keeping their information private.
0: So this is a this is a really hot topic, uh, you know, consent. Uh, in a number of different ways, uh, in the health sector and beyond, the the extent to which consent is part of the legislative frameworks for uh, data protection is evolving internationally. Um, you know, as we as we speak, uh, the GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation in Europe, really pushed. Uh, pushed consent into a different direction. C11 at the federal level is pushing uh, consent in, into a different direction. Um, and, and so there's, that's happening. But at the same time, in the health sector in particular, consent is a hot topic in a number of different ways. One way in which it's a, it's a really hot topic is uh, a lot of health research is trying to get into, uh, into a broader broader concepts of consent. So we're collecting this information from you, and we're getting your consent to, to collect it. And, and then we want to use it for what we want what we're collecting for, but then maybe we want to use it for something else later. And we don't know what that is but we want you to consent in advance to that. So that's, that's really tricky.
1: Absolutely, you know? very familiar with that secondary use issue. And it's quite interesting because there's a side of that where we want to say that we want to make sure that people understand what they're agreeing to. And if they don't know what their data will be used for in the future, then maybe we can't say that they truly understand or that they truly consent. But alternatively, we might want to say, well, as long as somebody fully understands that we're not sure what will happen with your data next, and you're agreeing to allow your data to be used even though we're not sure, allowing someone to make that decision for themselves is something that I think respects the patient's autonomy. Sure. And one of the things that I always think about when it comes to data is I have a colleague who says um, so a lot of people will say data is the new oil because it's one of these things that you can mine for all sorts of reasons that is really a tremendous resource um, but what she says is I don't think is the new oil I think data is the new soil because it's a reusable renewable resource and I think when it comes to some of these secondary use questions they're very interesting because I think we can think of them in terms of data recycling or data reuse that instead of using this data collecting this data using it only once for one explicit purpose and then having it go to waste in lots of cases you can use it and reuse it to engender as much knowledge as is possible right. so this data is very valuable so you want to be quite careful about how and when and where it's controlled and what it's used for right
0: so I uh, you know I there's there's now a lot of talk about can we set up our consent models for like iterated and fluid consent whereby you know you consent to one thing and and but then we may go back to you for these other uses and we might find ways to you know amend the consent or and also give you the ability to withdraw consent and it seems to me that these kind of tech solutions to to consent can open the possibility for um consent to be managed in an ongoing way as opposed to this static moment in time where we're going to tell you what information we have now and you consent to it and then goodbye (laughs) you know and and goodbye and good luck but the uh, tech-based solutions to consent um, can really improve one of the things that we you know that, that a lot of privacy professionals will say about about privacy is privacy is all about control and it's about not deciding I'm going to keep this information to myself, but being able to decide well this is my information and I'm okay with it being used for this and I'm not okay with it being used for that. So the more that you can you can do, the more control you have over your information the, the greater privacy. Privacy isn't like a door that you can shut and lock but, but the more that you can open and close it and the more control you have that's how your privacy rights are enhanced. So consent really goes right to the heart of that. And if tech solutions can help get there, then then I think that's a real path forward uh, to improve privacy.
1: Yes, yeah, so I think you're hitting the nail on the head, and this is a big part of Consensu's business plan, is this idea that it would give uh a straightforward way to be able to come back to participants, to be able to reinform them, and like you said, leaving that kind of open, we're going to use your data for any purpose into the future, um, might not really provide you with that real, meaningful, informed consent. But if all of a sudden you have an app on your phone and everything that you've ever consented to, you can now get alerts to say, "Hey, we'd like to reuse your data for this," or "We'd like to use some of your data for that," or you can, we can use your identifiable data in this way, or we can use your de-identified data in this way and you have an opportunity to make that selection, I think that really is meaningful informed consent as well as a huge opportunity to educate people about what their data is, how it's being used, and why it's valuable. So I think there's a real space right now for people with tech solutions to be able to engender privacy, to engender meaningful consent, to engender ethical treatment, instead of seeing it as it sometimes is as something that kind of gets in the way of progress.
0: Right, absolutely. So that's a, that's a great example of a company that, that you know, is the kind of thing that we would, we would be very supportive of because of its, uh, you know, its, its whole business model is about how to improve privacy uh, protection. Um, I would imagine that many of your other companies are, are dealing with personal health information in a different way. That they, you know, their business model isn't explicitly about personal health information, but they really need personal health information either, either because uh, they're you know a digital type of service or at the very least they need the data to be able to demonstrate that that what they're doing is is working. So, can you talk about maybe some examples of? Uh, you know, how some of your other companies, you know, use, you know, what personal information, personal health information do they need to get at and how do they improve it to advance their business?
1: absolutely so i would say of the 24 companies that we have almost all of them are using personal health information in some way or another whether they're using it um, when it comes to research and development whether they're using it in the research for their product whether they're using it as a major component of their product or they're collecting it sort of off the side of their product it's something that all of our entrepreneurs are thinking about and thinking about carefully and when I think about some of the things that have happened recently when it comes to privacy and health information and the use of health information, I think of one of our companies, New Click Biologics. So I'm very proud of New Click Biologics right now, um, in part because they are the first pilot users of our regulatory compliance package. And so New Click, uh, one of the things that they do is they take a look in a similar way to how 23andMe looks at your whole genome. They take a look at your gut microbiome. So they actually have a really, really lovely story. One of the founders had a close relative who was very, very ill. And part of this illness really required um, that this person do everything they can to sort of shore up their immune system. And our founder was feeling very helpless in helping them in this task. So essentially what they developed was a test of your gut microbiome to be able to tell you a little bit more about what's going on down there so that you can change your diet, change what you're taking in, in order to improve your immune system. So they can tell you very specifically the kinds of things that you should be eating, the kinds of activities you should be doing in order to ensure gut microbiome health. And so one of the things they wanted to do was test this. They wanna have that research to be able to make those kinds of claims. And these were folks who had never been in contact with this regulatory compliance system before. They were very much bench scientists who hadn't had to go through these kind of things. And we tend to think that, oh, insofar as you're doing science, you must be familiar with all of this. But really, if you don't work with human subjects, there's a whole nother layer that's added on that you might know nothing about. And so they came to me and they talked with me a little bit about the health research ethics process. And because I served as the ethics officer for the Health Research Ethics Authority, I have the experience to be able to provide a little bit of advice in terms of how to do a better application. I'm certainly not a decision maker, nothing like that, but I can help you out with that application. I'm about as familiar with those applications as you can get. And let me tell you, I took a look at this application and the ethics officer in me said, oh my gosh, if I had gotten this across my desk when I was working for the HRA, I would have sent it right back to them. So we had a look at it together. Um, they were able to explain to me the kinds of things they were working on, the kinds of things that they wanted to do. And also I was able to talk with them about some of the requirements. They were collecting patients' data, they were collecting their personal health information, and they had to think very carefully about what it meant to keep that private, keep it safe and secure. They were thinking about sending results back to the participants, that's another way that data is flowing in and data is flowing out, and they have to make sure that was happening responsibly so we had that conversation they were able to send their application in and had an incredibly rapid turnaround time and they're currently approved to conduct their research and are doing that research going forward with tremendous results so i think they're a great example of folks who didn't necessarily have a lot of experience in this field but were able to through our package through their interaction with this system really realize the value of making sure that they were protecting patients' information. So now when they have 100,000 customers, they already have a plan in place for how to make sure that they are collecting those results safely and securely and privately and remitting them back to their their clients safely and securely and privately. So really, it's a big chunk of work done that would have been much more difficult to do once you have 100,000 clients.
0: Yeah, I think that's a that's a great example um, uh, of uh, of a company that, and how they, how you know they're you're helping them become aware of privacy questions that they may not even have have been aware of uh, before. And certainly, that's something that we are you know why we're we're quite concerned uh, about the the FIA side, the personal health information side, because we have so many so many custodians out there. I mean, the public bodies that we have, at least we, we know who all the public bodies are, um, but the custodians, there's such a long list of custodians. If you're a health, a licensed health professional providing health services in this province and collecting personal health information as part of that, which you, if you're providing health services and you are collecting PHI, then Absolutely. you are a custodian. And so all of those health professionals, all those licensed health professionals, and, and there are thousands of them, are, are custodians. Uh, and, and they have their responsibilities under the Act. That's a, that's a pretty big deal. Uh, and, uh, and so then to, for, for some of those folks to be getting into, into a whole new line of business uh, to create a startup and becoming aware of their responsibilities, that's a, it's a daunting endeavor. So it's a, it's a real service that, that you're providing support to them in that way.
1: Yeah, we think so too. And we're excited about the response so far because this regulatory compliance package has actually received a lot of attention. I think in part because this ends up being a stumbling block for so many people in so many places. But one of the interesting things and one of the advantages that we have in Newfoundland and Labrador is we have one major university. We have four major RHAs. We have, you can get decision makers and people who are central to this field together in a room in a relatively short amount of time. And so for that reason, there's really a way in which we can come together as an ecosystem and work for a robust community, a robust series of communications that allows this to happen really quickly. And that's what I've been very impressed by in terms of working in this ecosystem, that if you were to try and get all of the RHAs together in Ontario, if you were to try and get all of the universities together in Ontario, Frankly, it's likely that it just wouldn't happen here. You can get all of those people in the same room. You can get on the same page, and you can have people fly through this process rapidly with no loss of quality. And I think that's one of the things that's really special about Newfoundland and Labrador, and makes it an attractive place to do business.
0: So, on that note, uh, you know, a couple of the real the the things that are real assets, and and I'll say assets both from a um, uh, from a the perspective of a you know how do we get access to this resource that is the personal health information the soil that you're talking about but also assets from our perspective on aspects of the situation that help keep uh, keep this personal health information safe is this consolidation you've got a provincial secondary use committee that is you know allows for the consideration gets all those players in the room and allows for consideration of secondary use. You know, essentially all of them together. You've got the Health Research Ethics Authority and the Health Research Ethics Board, which consolidates uh, the the health research expertise that we have in, in kind of one spot, so as opposed to let's say if we were in Ontario, where there's a Health Research Ethics Board in every separate every institution. Uh, and so the consolidation and and, and th- they're connected to each other. They're, they're aware of each other.
1: And then we've got our friends at Nilchi who are doing amazing things there in terms of the consolidation of data in the province. And you're absolutely right that you look at other provinces, and it's so much more diffuse. Right.
0: So that's where I wanted to go next. I wanted to ask about your your and your company's experiences with this, the growing data lab. Uh, I've been uh, championing I've been championing the data lab since before I was commissioner. But as commissioner, I've been championing it because uh, for those of you who may be listening that aren't aware that uh, the data lab. Nilchi is a uh, is it's a it's a virtual lab. It doesn't uh, it's not a, it's not a place that exists per se that you would go to. It's a virtual lab, but it is the interface that uh, that people can access uh, to get at the data warehouse, which is the interconnection of all of NILC's, uh data holdings. And what the data lab allows people to do is get access to get access. When I say to to de-identified health information for but at the record level uh for the use for their use and research um but also but they don't take it into their custody and control so at the one hand uh, at the one time access is access to that data is increased but on the other hand privacy is increased because the data is not the record level data is not given into the uh, the custody and control of the researcher for them to to go off with Uh, so i just wonder if you could uh, and i've been championing this in principle and our office has been in principle supportive of the data lab while it's been under development so i wonder have have your researchers been engaged with the data lab project at all any of any of your partner companies and uh, and how are they finding that going if so
1: Oh, yeah, 100%. So actually, we have bi monthly meetings of all of our companies where we get together. And at our last bi monthly meeting, we had the folks from Nilchi come and give a presentation on the data lab to our founders specifically. Um, and it's a tremendous opportunity. Talk about building in privacy at the front end. Uh, this takes away a lot of the responsibility, a lot of the challenges that are associated with the collection and use of personal health information um, while still allowing access to the data to be able to make use of it. So we're actually negotiating with Milchi right now about several different companies who would like to make use of the data. And one of the nice things is you mentioned de-identification, but we have access to de-identified record level data, to anonymized data, to data that's been amalgamated. So really the nice thing about the data lab is that you can access data that is exactly at the level of identifiability that you need and no more. Mm-hmm. So one of the more old fashioned ways of dealing with data is, you know, you end up with the file facts full of health records and it's all, you know, people's identifiable information and then You know, you hire some poor grad student to redact it all for you, and then you work on it from there. But what Nilchi has done is they've really automated that process and and customized it for what each of the companies need. And some companies just need that anonymized health data. Some companies just need dummy data to give their apps a try before they send them out to customers. So there is a lot of opportunity when it comes to Nilchi's data lab. It's still a little bit of a work in progress, particularly on, for instance, the app developer side, which is one of the things that they're working on. We're really, really excited about that. But that being said, we have a number of companies that are very interested in working with them, and a couple in particular who are sort of on their way to really operating in the data lab. So I I would say, have me back in a couple of months, and I'll tell you um, how our companies are doing in Nielsen's data lab. And I think that's another huge selling point for Newfoundland and Labrador in terms of having med tech companies here is access to that resource, and it's going to be a really tremendous resource for us. Yeah,
0: and I mean, this is this uh this is the vision that have uh, that a number of people have have been coalescing around for a number of years now an environment where there is you know the consolidated uh data but also the infrastructure is in place and when i say infrastructure i not only mean the technological infrastructure of having these databases in place and able to talk to each other in a warehouse and then having an infrastructure that like a data lab that provides access to them but other aspects of the of more that you might broadly consider to be infrastructure and I consider a a coherent and sound regulatory infrastructure to be part of that so that people know the names of the 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 rules of the game they're consistent and consistently applied and they're safe and and I think Newfoundlanders and Labradorians will Will be comfortable uh, uh, with the use of their personal health information for uh, for these purposes if they believe it's safe.
1: Absolutely. A-
0: and uh, so, if, with that needs to be in place, and then other aspects of the infrastructure, like an incubator, like Bounce Health Innovation, that can that can help companies so that you can get small companies as well as large companies working and innovating, but also working together and and. You know, playing in this in this sandbox that we have here, and that's that's the kind of infrastructure that we have to grow a sector here. And and with that with that infrastructure in place, this can be really one of the the growth sectors uh, of this province. So that's really you know what's I think been exciting about this this vision for a long time.
1: A hundred percent. And one of the things that I notice is that this really lets the experts be the experts. You know, my founders don't necessarily want to become experts in privacy law or all of the kind of infrastructure that you need to build for something like that. So if we can let the experts at Nilchi, who are absolutely the experts when it comes to privacy, build a foundation that my founders can then make use of, that's a tremendous, tremendous value add for them.
0: So one, one thing, on that note, I wanted to, to ask you about was a, a concept that, uh, that I've been thinking about for a long time. That is the use of personal health information for research. You know, our custodians collect this personal health information through the purpose of, uh, you know, by, by providing health services. So, I'm sick, I show up at the hospital, uh, I, I get well, and as a product of that, uh, a, a bunch of information is collected and, and stored about me. And that information is, can be used in the future to help keep me well mm-hmm. uh, and, and help me continue to get better, but also uh, it can be used for secondary purposes such as pure academic research, but it can also be used to improve the provision of health services uh, going, going forward, and, and it can be used for innovation. Absolutely. Right? So the, there's a number of different secondary uses. So one of the things that has been controversial in this sector and that continues to be controversial is the role of the private sector. Now listen, the private sector has always been a part of healthcare in Canada and around the world. Uh, You know, the the notion, and and, and indeed, uh, most of our, most of our doctors, for example, uh, are, are private professionals. Mm -hmm. They're essentially small business people, those who aren't employed by the, the regional health authorities, not to mention, many of our the other health professionals uh, working in in this province from dentists through to massage therapists i mean they're all they're, they're small business people mm-hmm. right or, or larger business people some of them but so the idea that you know, the private sector has always been a part of healthcare. you know pharmaceuticals is another example of big and small so the notion the notion that that the private sector is somehow not a part of healthcare is not is not even a realistic notion mm-hmm. but here we're, what we're talking about is Access of private sector companies to to personal health information, and some of the information they're collecting on their own, but some of it they're they're getting from data custodians, mm-hmm. right? Um, so that relies uh, on a co- uh, on social license. I mean, people need to be comfortable with their data being used in that way. So I wonder, have you you know to what extent do uh, do your custodians, do your companies? Uh, think about uh, social license and how how can we and how can how can bounce contribute to uh, to social license being in place for the level of information or the level of innovation that we need in this sector.
1: That's a really good question. And I think that one of the ways that Bounce can contribute to this is through telling the stories of our founders. So I think that sometimes when we think about the private sector and the private sector's involvement in healthcare, we get a lot of scary images of evil pharmaceutical companies or people with monocles holding bags of money.
0: Although uh, as everybody gets their, uh, their vaccine from Pfizer and Moderna, <laughs> maybe, maybe we'd be a little less upset at pharmaceutical companies. Uh, but, you know, nevertheless, you're, you know, that's this no there is this notion of a bit of a private sector boogeyman that, that it has been built up. Anyway, Absolutely,
1: continue. and it's not unreasonable. In some cases, there are ways in which the private sector has gotten involved in healthcare that has been detrimental to people's health. And I think that we have to admit to that, and I think that we have to, to um, do the very best that we can to deal with that. But all that being said, one of the things that I've noticed is exactly what you're saying. People forget about how involved the private sector is in healthcare. care. Um, so the private sector will supply everything from the Q-tips to the cotton balls to all of the things that you see and that you deal with in the hospital. Um, and so it's provided to you publicly, but the private sector is still absolutely involved. There are huge public-private partnerships that happen all the time. And the other way that I see this relationship functioning is that As you mentioned, when it comes to the founders that I work with, by and large, those founders are people who work in public health, people who have experience working in that world, people who are passionate about the health of their patients and have learned so much from working in the public sector and then can offer solutions to what they see as problems in the public sector. So I think that although we absolutely want to protect the sanctity of the public sector and our public health care, At the same time, there's a lot of lessons that can be learned from private industry, and there's a lot that private industry can offer without necessarily coming in and taking over. So one of the things that I think about is one of our founders, uh, Deanne McCarthy of Swiftsure Innovations. She is, or she used to be, uh, now her company's very successful, so she's had to work on that full time, but used to be an emergency room nurse. And one of the things that she noticed is that her patients were coming in and patients, um, uh, you might know patients sometimes will come into the emergency room and when there's been serious trauma, they'll have to be intubated. And we've been learning a lot more about intubation when it comes to Mm COVID-19. It's something that uh, a lot of people are learning about, even though they didn't know much about. And one of the things that happens when you're intubated is that, unfortunately, there can be bacteria that get into your lungs and lead to uh, hospital-acquired pneumonia, and that is very, very difficult to recover from. And so this was one of the things that Deanne was seeing in her job every day, and she tells a story, and it's kind of a tragic story, about a young man who came in after a catastrophic car accident, um, and he had blood in his mouth. Um, And her as a nurse, she's taking care of him and she's cleaning out his mouth. And she noticed even after he had been there for several weeks, he still had blood in his mouth. And that's because when you're intubated, it's very difficult to clean your teeth, to floss, to brush your teeth. And so she has developed a device that allows for you to provide this dental care to patients while they're intubated, which leads to not as much bacteria, hopefully fewer ventilator-required infections, we'll have to do the research to determine that, but that's definitely what we would suggest here, and is a real innovation in terms of patient care and saving patient lives. So here you have someone who took her experience from the public sector, who took the love of her work in the public sector, who came up with a solution created a private company, but with every intention of supplying these devices back to the public sector. So I think sometimes we have this very hard and fast division between private and public, but in practice, it almost never works that way in terms of what I've seen. It is partnerships and there's a lot that one can learn from the other. Yeah,
0: you know, the way I used to, to think about this very idea is a notion that, you know, we we have in, in this sector, we have so many, uh, I mean, thousands of, of people working in the health sector in Newfoundland and Labrador. These are highly educated people, uh, very some of the, the brightest people in our province working day-to-day, and, and they're problem-solving, and they're, they're presented with these clinical problems every day. And, and they're not just clinical problems because many of the people working in the sector—I mean, the, the the problem that they're facing might be a housekeeping problem. Yeah. But whatever they're facing, they're problem-solving. They're at the front lines, and many of them say, "Geez, I I know how to make this better." And I used to say, "What we need to do is we need to carbonate the sector. We need to to like you'd inject carbon dioxide into into water and make it bubbly. We need to to we need to inject that." Innovation into the sector and make it bubble, so that all those little ideas that people have when they're working the night shift in the ER or they're working the night shift up on the floor doing housekeeping—that the the bright little idea that they have—they uh, can they can let that idea bubble up, and that's that's how we need to inject that into into carbonate the sector, so that those ideas they don't stay there on the front lines. That's where they're generated, and we need to empower our our, our front line. Uh, Frontline workers to to have these interventions, but then we need to we need to get those ideas out of there, out, because otherwise they'll stay. If there's no way for them to to get out of there, they're going to stay there on the front lines, and they're not going to to achieve the potential that they could. But uh, things like bounce health innovation are how we carbonate this sector, how we get those ideas to how we get those little bubbles to form and and start to rise up and to be to to get up from the front lines. Uh, up to to uh, being able to become real solutions that can be generalized.
1: A hundred percent. And I think that one of the ways that Bounce is able to do exactly that is that unfortunately and this is maybe this is a little bit of a stereotype, but doctors talk to doctors. Nurses talk to nurses, healthcare people talk to healthcare people. And so, what Bounce has to offer is the opportunity for a collision where a physician can talk to a computer scientist, where a nurse can talk to an engineer. And so, instead of it just being like, oh, wouldn't it be nice if we had a device that did this? Or wouldn't it be nice if we had an app that did that? You can actually be in the room with someone who's, who will say, you know, yeah, I can build that for you in a second. So it's one of the things that we are really proud of when it comes to our pool of talent is what we call it, where essentially we have early stage career individuals, students, people who have a certain skill set, but don't necessarily have a project that they're working on. So the next time a physician comes to me and says, hey, I have this great idea for how, you know, I could arrange my clinic better so that uh, people would get seen more quickly, I can introduce that physician to an app developer who could create that app in 10 minutes or could mock something up for them very quickly. So I think this is one of the ways that we carbonate things is by allowing for these collisions of people people in different sectors. So instead of it feeling like a bit of a pipe dream, if only we had a device that would allow me to clean my patient's mouth, I put Deanne McCarthy, for instance, in contact with PolyUnity, which does 3D printing of medical devices and other objects. And all of a sudden it doesn't take that long to actually 3D print yeah. a device like that.
0: And every example of success that you're able to point to, you know, you can you can point uh, you can point to that and say, look, it can be done. They did they did it and it might seem like a, a little idea, but look, they, they turned that little idea into, into an actual company and the supports were there to make it happen.
1: And the nice thing is, the more we do that, the more we have an ecosystem that supports it. So for instance, like this relationship between Swisher Innovations and PolyUnity, which are two bounce companies, the more that we have these successful companies, the more that we have CEOs who are there to help out the very early stage entrepreneurs, the more we have the resources here on the island and in Labrador to be able to actually create these devices we're imagining, the more we have the skilled people that we need here in our ecosystem Ecosystem to really get things done. So I think that's a big part of what Bounce is doing and a big part of what's important about us is being able to shore up to build up the ecosystem so that it can support these businesses and get them rolling really quickly.
0: So, Chandra, thanks for coming and talking to me about health inform, uh, health innovation, Bounce health innovation today. Uh, I'm really excited about it, you know, just because I'm so excited about this sector, but also from a from a privacy perspective, I'm uh, very very confident that. Um, You know that one of the things that you're doing as a as an organization is is helping these companies to confront the regulatory uh, environment that they're in, and also helping bring coherence to that, uh, but also providing the leadership. Uh, that is necessary and the, and the right attitude towards those regulations that are helping these companies to to really achieve success uh, I think we're uh, we're all uh, I mean given how early the days are in this initiative I think I'm really uh, really excited about the level of success that we're already seeing I think we're just at the the tip of the iceberg so thank you so much I'm really excited that you were the our first guest here on, on duty to discuss and um, uh, I think we've we've set a pretty uh, a pretty good bar for all of the next podcasts. So I don't, I don't know where we're going to go from here, um, but uh, but I'm pretty excited about that too.
1: Excellent. Well, thank you so much for having me, and please feel free to have me back anytime. I always love to talk about data nerd stuff. So uh, happy to discuss. Thank
0: well, we'll you so much.